Welcome to Conversations with Z and Vindesh, a weekly discussion that explores common life challenges and offers practical solutions. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. That's D-H-A-R-M-A media.com. All right. Welcome back, everyone, to this week's edition of Conversations. Z, man, it's good to be back. Good to talk to you. It's been a few weeks since we've done this. Caitlin abandoned us, uh, went on some some jet-setting trip to Europe, spent some time in Italy. But we're all back, and uh, great to have this opportunity to sit down again, uh, share some thoughts. So today we're talking about traumatic events, and we're talking about responses to those traumatic events. This is something that I think is particularly important because as I look around and just see what's happening at a very personal level in my neighborhood, in my city, things are breaking down and they're breaking down at an accelerating rate. And it's not just the violence. Uh, The violence is a part of it. The homelessness is a part of it. But it's also just weird stuff that's happening, like stuff that doesn't make a lot of sense. People getting randomly attacked for no reason not even getting robbed, didn't even do anything, but we know someone who was just walking around that were smacked on the back of the head, and the other person walked away after doing that. No interaction, except for smacking this poor lady who must have been in her 50s, 60s, on the back of the head. Then we got gangs in New York, gangs of young women dressing up in neon green. They call themselves the Green Lantern Gang. They're randomly beating up strangers on the subway and robbing them. And you see it, it's like something out of a a comic book. It's just bizarre. So there's all this stuff that we're dealing with. And you then overlay things like threats of nuclear war, politicians who are trying actively to destroy our civilization, just general divisiveness, general hatred, infrastructure breaking down, prices going up. And it's a lot of stress, and that stress accumulates. And then once you get sufficient stress... That creates trauma. So what you were talking about, Z, I thought was very interesting that you got all of this stress and that leads to the trauma. How do we deal with the trauma? What is the response to that? A lot of it is almost becoming numb to the trauma. So we kind of go into this catatonic state where we're just used to it and we're not really thinking about it. We're not fighting it. We're accepting it, but we're not entirely accepting it. So at a conscious level, we're accepting it. We're going about our day. But subconsciously, it's damaging uh, because it makes us feel afraid. It makes us feel depressed. It takes a tremendous amount of energy just to go about your day, just to make sure that you're taking care of yourself and your loved ones. You come back, you're exhausted. As you talked about, Z, there are people that you know who you've been working with who can't sleep so that you can't rest. The body can never shut down and recover because you're always looking for that next threat. You know, it's kind of like you're shell-shocked and you're wondering what's going to blow up next. So this is interesting for a couple of reasons. Uh, Number one, because it's going on under the surface, so it can be very damaging. It's something that's pervasive, but it's so pervasive that we don't even realize it. It becomes our new normal. So we need an awareness of what is causing this trauma. And more importantly, as we always talk about on this podcast, we need a recipe for what to do about it. So if there is the trauma and that's causing a buildup in cortisol, it's putting our body and our mind out of whack. What are some of the things that we can do to regain control of ourselves, to bring that down, to, br- to come back down to more of a calm state where we can live? And again, we can be present. And that's also a big part of what we talk about. Let's just be present. Let's just do the things that make us feel connected to the people we care about, do the things that make us feel alive, uh, 
that sparks some passion, some joy. Uh, but to do that, we have to get out of our heads. So we have to be able to cure this trauma that we're experiencing because of all of the daily stresses. Uh, so I'm going to pause over here, Z, and just get your thoughts. Uh, maybe you could use this as a jumping off point. Talk a little bit about what you're seeing just as people go through their day-to-day -day lives. Well, I'm seeing the same thing we're all seeing. What I try to do is, again, using that uh, technique of dispassion and observation, step back and look and see what's going on so that I can even see it in myself and how it affects my ability to process information that's right in front of me. So we, do a, we all do ourselves a favor by being, again, that dispassion observer, being the bird on the wire looking down. I was talking to a, a gentleman today who had just suffered a stroke, and he was coming in for, for, for post-stroke treatment, early treatment, so it wouldn't get worse. And I have, like with everybody, anybody's ever worked with me, you know, I'm going to have a heart-to-heart. -heart. Um, I feel like there are many things you can fix and repair, but the hardest thing to change is the way people think about what caused them to fall into disrepair. You can, you can repair your car, but you still want to learn to be a better driver so that you don't continue to wreck the car. And that's how I look at uh, human health issues. So I was speaking to the, uh, the fellow about life, and he would, I, I listened closely to what people said. He mentioned that he had um, some older children in their 30s who just needed him for everything. They had a lot of drama in their life. And as we start to work, and, and, and I, I got his, um, his vitals in a good place, and we went through our normal things that we do, he says, what do I do next? I said, well, we're going to come in for some more sessions. We're going to get you in a good place where you don't need to come here. And I explained to him the big part of what we do, of course, is educating. Um, so it's not enough to, for me to remedy um, the, the symptoms and signs of, of different disorders. I want people to take care of themselves. And so I, I share with him, you mentioned your children. He immediately got more stressed out and said, no, I, I didn't mean anything bad. I, I love my kids. I love my kids. I said, yeah, I'm not saying you don't love your kids, but that doesn't mean your kids aren't killing you. And I talked to him about a situation we had some time ago with a very dear person um, whose children were in constant chaos, and it broke her heart to the point where she no longer had the desire to live. And when I spoke with her children about what it would take to extend their mother's life and bring her back in a better state of health, two of her children were unwilling to change their behavior that was aggravating or breaking their mother's heart. And she just went down the hill and died within a few days of that family meeting. And her children blatantly said they would not give up their petty arguments, even if it meant saving their mother's life. So we want to not say that, yeah, you can love people. That doesn't mean they're not killing you, right? It doesn't mean they're not killing you. Everyone could have a, a, a relative, a, a person, a close familiar that the very nature of the relationship, the give and take of it, leaves you with a toxic byproduct. This isn't uncommon. That's where we get family dysfunction from. Well, that's what puts the fun in dysfunction, right? It's people you care about. And you say, oh, my God, you're getting the midnight call from, from this particular person. They're in another dilemma. And so we want to be able to step back and call things as they are, not in a judgmental way, but just to say, here it is. Here's the results. So when we talk about stress, I wanted to clear some things up in, in, with some research that I do. I talk a lot about stress because it's one of the things that I'm trying to manage 
in my life and, and with building Dharma media, having a young family, things like that, uh, I tend to be under a tremendous amount of stress. Um, and so I try to navigate it in a way that it doesn't undermine the, the results I'm trying to seek. And it's also something that is hard to share with others because I can normalize my stress to the point where it just looks like the way things are. I'm full of energy, blah, blah, blah. <clears throat> and as you said, uh, that traumatic, that more and more stress leads to trauma or damage, right? The next step. So as I've been explaining, I shared, Caitlin, all that you heard me say this today, let us put stress on a billboard in front of us and put the word stress and put it on a dial. And to the left of that stress dial is you stress, which is healthy stress. To the right of that dial from stress in the middle is called distress. That's what we don't want. We don't want a lot of distress, which is really destructive, uh, isn't real beneficial, and it leads to uh, immediate trauma. And then that trauma becomes cumulative. But with the you stress, it's stress that was worth or beneficial to you. Here's an example. <clears throat> For those of you who uh, work out, let's say you're punching the bag and you're going to go do a few, let's say we're going to do 10 rounds on the bag. And you get out there and you're just beating that bag and beating that bag. That's stressful. But at the end of that, you're sitting with friends, you're sharing that experience with good friends, you have a lot of laughter, you go out for a meal together. Uh, at the end of that, you go and you greet your loved one at the door. They're happy to see you. The day ends in gratitude. Um, that becomes you stress. So the next day, you actually get stronger. You have more endurance. Uh, you can go more rounds. Your punches are faster. Your body recovers quicker. What was hard a month ago becomes easy the next month. So that's you stress. Distress is, let's say you do the same activity, but you're punching at a thief coming to your house wanting to kidnap your family. And you're punching and fighting and punching and fighting, and you're completely stressed out, and then your family is gone. And you're exhausted from punching and hitting. The body went through the same physiological thing, but what's different is you don't have that, the company of your family. You don't have the loving friend. You don't have the the peace at the end of the day, and you got to get up the next morning and fight again, what happens? You start to decline. That's the distress. We don't want to be distressed. That creates what's called this uh, um, traumatizing event response. Now you're just agitated, tired, strained, in pain, and to the point where your senses are now dulled, your digestion is shutting down. So we can do two identical physically, physiologically identical things that cause stress, but having a different encapsulation of it will have different results on our body. So you stress is good. Training, uh, working out with friends and loved ones and, and being greeted in the evening. Uh, touching is very important. Hugging your kids, uh, holding hands with your partner, um, cuddling up with people. That is actually creates a, a, a model of... Um, vasopressin and oxytocin in your body that offsets the detrimental effects of cortisol. Remember, we need cortisol in the morning. 
Cortisol is highest in the morning under normal circumstances because what does cortisol do? It wakes us up in the morning. If we did not have cortisol, you wouldn't wake up in the morning. You would probably just never wake up or you would be in a, you'd have sleep inertia to the point where you would really be, barely be able to drag yourself into an awakened state. So that's where you need your cortisol to, hey, hey, I'm up, right? The alarm clock went off. That's, that's a hit of cortisol. And then it floods your body with all the fear hormones you need to wake up from that dream state. You ever been in such a, such a relaxing place that you couldn't wake up? You ever said that? You're like, I can't wake up because there was no stress. There was no cortisol. But if you can't wake up, you get sleep inertia that has its own health issues. Your metabolism doesn't come on, blah, 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 blah. So <clears throat> what we want to be careful of and, and, and observe is traumatic event response. And we were talking earlier before we started recording about when the, uh, the homeless person was dead on the street. And after a while, you know, to most people, it's shocking, appalling. It's, it's emotional. You see somebody dead. But because we're so traumatized, we're so tired of the stress brought by the ravages of overpopulated, uh, densely populated areas, uh, one issue after another, we just step over the body. You step over it, you step around it. It's an annoying thing on a strictly intellectual level. But on a deeper, primitive level, as a human being, that is appalling, it's scary, it's hurtful, it's disgusting, it's a, it's a, it's a sad state of society, right? And you feel it, but we're so traumatized that that trauma, trauma has been anesthetized, uh, and we've been, uh, is it anesthetized by... We've been through it so much, we don't feel it anymore. So we start to lose our humanity. And in losing that humanity, our vital functions change. Our cortisol levels stay high. We got used to it, right? So you see all this obesity, all these things going on, uh, the emotional issues. We hear more and more about rage. People are mad and just bizarre killings and feuds and all these kinds of things. These are chemical reactions in people. This is a traumatic event response. Being in rush hour traffic is stressful. Doing it day to day, week to week is traumatizing. Financial insecurity is stressful. Going through it for months and months and years and years is traumatizing. Being in an unhealthy relationship is very stressful. Doing it year after year after year is traumatizing be it an intimate relationship, romantic relationship, or a family dynamic. Most people know of family dynamics, and they're traumatized by their family dynamic. As this man was today, he had a stroke, right? And his kids never let up. I know we know someone who died from a broken heart because of her children. And so when we understand that, then now we can seek remedy for that. And that's what I want to present, Vin, is... What is the remedy that, and it always follows something that we'll say over and over, is the IPI, Identify, Process, and Integrate. And that's where you, you benefit from being able to step away and say, you know what, I, I, I love my family member, but they're toxic. So I know that if there's a toxic pool of water somewhere, I'm going to put warning signs over it. It may be a beautiful lake, but it's toxic. And we'll just kind of look at it from a distance so that toxemia doesn't affect us 
right? Um, Is that question though, like, so then you're still finding a way to, to accept them, love them, but then not like let it, like their, whatever negativity is there affect you? Right, so you, you, want, you, you really want to accept it. It's kind of like a, a, a parent who has a, a child that's a horrible human being. And you want to rescue them from who they are. They're, they are a horrible human being. Maybe they're selfish. Maybe they're narcissistic. Maybe they're uh, psychopathic. You can't do anything about that but accept who they are. But you don't have to feed the trauma and the stress that you've brought, invited into your life dealing with them. Thinking that you can change or fix them. Right? So you think that's where people get lost in times, is they still think that they can fix their love. Yeah, ones. but what if they're not broken? What if that's the way they are? What if the sharp knife that cut you is a sharp knife that cuts? Right? So it, re it would take our dispassion to look and go, hmm, okay. Let me figure this one out, okay? Let me pull this together. And that's where a strategy comes in order to mitigate the, um, the TUR, the traumatic event response. And you look at it as there are different degrees of that, and you can see how it affects us physiologically, right? Because I'm really talking about the physical effects of that in addition to the ravages of the mind. So as we are able to be more dispassionate, we can see, you know, that's the way they are. And we know the limit and the range and also the resources we can expend in that direction. And this doesn't have to be even that extreme. There can be people who just lack grace and gratitude. Thus, they will always drain those that love them, traumatize stress, and then traumatize the people that love them. And it's not always done in a malicious way. They just don't know they are. You talked about you had a relative that had a lot of drama at one time. It was, it was never ending. And at some point, you just simply have to stay back, take measured steps in dealing with them, reserve a lot of your energy and resources, and then they typically exhaust themselves. You can feed them your resources, but it would take longer for them to exhaust themselves. You could rescue them, but inevitably they're going to end up where they're going to end up. And so as we look around, for those of us who have the different levels of TUR, um, traumatic events response, we don't want to lose our humanity, right? And as Vin and I were talking, you see like the random criminality. He's got these kind of like girls running around, dressing up and robbing people on the train. That's when it's time to stop riding the train. You say, I have to ride the train. No, you don't. No, you don't. Only rare, there are rare situations where people have to use public transportation. Are you sure? Because New York City is kind of hard to have a car there. Yeah, I understand. But I think when I say that, I think finding different ways of reducing your imprint on the public transportation where people don't get comfortable in traumatic and stressful events. Maybe that's a better way to put it. New York is a strange situation. I mean, L.A. has a train. Nobody but gets on it but criminals. So New York, maybe there are people who have to use it. But how do we 
restrict our movement, manage our movement as if we were walking through the forest, right? So everybody goes camping, walking through the forest. You have things you do to protect yourself from snakes, spiders, and predators because they live there. You're visiting. And maybe in these unhealthy environments, treat, act as if you're a visitor as opposed to being so damaged that you feel that this is normal. Right. You're right? treating it like, oh, this is my morning commute. So. Yeah, just stepping over the homeless. Yeah. That shouldn't be your game plan. Right? Because then now you're part of the problem. So we can slowly withdraw ourselves from this um, in many ways. And so I want to look, talk about the ways that we correct some of the chemical anomalies in our body. So we know that if you have high levels of cortisol, cortisolemia, that you need higher quantities of vasopressin, oxytocin. You need the love chemistry around you. And let's kind of deconstruct our days. Um, when you start your day, is it anxious? Is it puffing and puffing? Is it, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, panic, panic? Or is it say, hey, you know, this is, let's start our day, folks. Good morning, everybody. That in itself changes the body chemistry. They've done research on people who were wounded <clears throat> and had people who had someone loving around holding their hand <clears throat> and someone in complete isolation. And lo and behold, to no great surprise, the person who had someone to hold their hand, who had uh, loving interactions or affectionate interactions, healed something like 30% faster from an open injury than a person who was alone. Isn't that interesting? So we as a species benefit from uh, the tribal comforts. And when I say tribe, I don't mean socially established tribes. I mean the, 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 the intimate culture of your life. So if we know that, how do we, uh, how do we want to fortify our intimate culture, right? So again, I say intimate culture is separate from the culture. The culture is dictated by the faceless committee. Societal rules and ideas are, committed, are, are created by the faceless committee. That isn't what's working. That's destructive. That's not helping us. Intimate culture is what you create yourself. Your circle of friends, starting first with you, <clears throat> and then the orbit around you and then the orbit around that orbit. That is the most important thing in order to address the ravages of stress and trauma. So you go through your day, you can deal with the hellscape out there, just like the stress. You can deal with the stress if at the culmination of that stress, you're having love, gratitude, Kindness, compassion, safety. That's where the home is. That's what they mean by the home. I'm home now. You can lock the door and that outside world isn't coming in there. That's your intimate culture. So what many of us will benefit from in order to, again, offset the trauma and ravages of distress is really, really working on our intimate culture. So you have you, 
Are you good to you? Are you nurturing you? And as you see, Caitlin, as we work with different people, one of the biggest issues they have is caring for themselves. That's what they ask. What should I be eating? And what I don't hear a lot, and that I would love to start hearing, is I'd love for their friends, partners, to participate. What can, what can I cook for you? What can I pick up for you? I'd like to share that with you. There's research now that says you will benefit more from that. Yeah. Are you finding that your clients lately um, don't have supportive partners? They don't. A lot of them are primary caregivers or they're, I would say, alpha caregivers. They've done uh, extraordinary things in their life. Uh, they're able to care for their family, and the family takes them for granted. <clears throat> they're the main caregivers, primary caregivers, or primary um, resource bringers. And so many of them are on their own when it comes to a meal. That's why they had an old book years ago called Chicken Soap, Chicken Soup for the Soul. And they've done research and they say, you know, the, the chicken soup ain't that great for your health. What's great for your health is that your grandmother made it. What's great for your health is that your husband or wife made you the soup. That changes the way the body absorbs nutrients and filters out um, unhealthy byproduct. Isn't that something? Your kidneys work better. Your gallbladder works better. Isn't that something? So if we look at our intimate culture, separate from the general culture, those are where we can hopefully make changes. I'm not sure how to do that, but I would ask that question, and, and Vin, you can help me with, sometimes you are, are dealing with folks in your life and you have to ask, if you knew that by doing these things your loved one would be healthier, would you do it? If you knew that when you came to the end of your day, as Khalil Gibran, when you finish your evening too with gratitude, if you knew that coming home and whoever greeted you in the evening was happy to see you, not ready for the next thing, not in, a, in, in distress, not unloading distress on you, or creating distress because they themselves have uh, a traumatic event response, which makes everything they do agitatable, twerky, creepy, reactive, right? That's what traumatic event response does. You're just, ha, 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 what, this, this, that, right? You're in a constant state of fidgety and panic. If you knew that if you created a calmness, if just the a loving, quiet embrace for five seconds changes the endocrine system in the body to shut it off from fighting the outside world. Would they do it? It's a tough one. What do you think, Vin? I don't think people would do it because I feel like a lot of those people already know. At least you know it. If you sit back and you reflect for more than just a minute, you know that doing things like being on your phone all the time is bad. You know that being around your family is important. You know that yelling creates a lot of disharmony. 
you know, the toxic people who had nothing in your life, you don't want to be around them because it's a big drain. And I've seen this in people that I care about. They know this and we go through discussions at times and there's a short-term fix or a short-term awareness. But what I've noticed is that you have to hit a point of sufficient pain, either that or it's more of a gradual change. Because I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's that you shift in and out of awareness. So you have the awareness, but then you immediately forget about it. I kind of imagine what it would take to get people to pay attention. It's like if you had a big scoreboard or some digital board and everything you did in real time was monitored and you could tell how many seconds you're taking off of the life expectancy of your kids or how you're damaging your own organs or whatever it is and you're blasted with that information constantly, then maybe you would take action. But then after a while, as you're talking about if you don't have sufficient awareness, you would just get numb to that as well. It would be like that dead homeless person on the street. <laughs> You'd be like, well, what the hell can I do? There's not that much that I can do about it. Uh, or you just tune it out. Or you treat it like something else that you're so anxious about that the anxiety around that would override everything else. So I don't think there's a simple solution. Uh, or maybe it is a simple solution, but it, not an easy solution. To me, there's there's a missing ingredient that we're not talking about. And I don't know exactly what that is. I mean, I mentioned some ideas. Like it could be that you need to hit a point of sufficient pain uh, maybe there is a a part of it which is just cultivating a habit. So doing something 10,000 times or 100,000 times to to create that memory and create those routines. Uh, but in my experience, I see people going back and doing the exact same things. And I'll, I'll give you an example. I was out the other night and I needed an extra cell phone because I was going and I was recording something that I was doing, uh, so I, I needed a phone to do that. And I, I was doing an open mic, so one phone I had to plug in for the music, and the other one I needed to record the event. And so I took my wife's phone, and I came back that night, and she's just gushing about what a great night she had and how it was so fantastic being with the kids, and they had so much fun, and it was amazing. And she said to me, what did I not have tonight? And I was like, I don't know, what didn't you have? And she looked at me and kind of smiled and said, my phone. I didn't have my phone. And it was like this light bulb had gone off. And she's like, everything is going to change from now on. I'm going to put this away. I know I need to be present. I know I need to be here. And two days later, it's like, <laughs> it's back to the exact same thing. You're on your phone all the goddamn time. I mean, I guess I could lock it away. Maybe that's what I need to do. Just put it in a safe or hide it under a rock. Maybe that's on me. But that's just an example. You know, like that is such a clear, stark, vivid example of evidence that stares you in the face. A controlled experiment where you see what life is like with these traumatic events or, or continual stress and without. You see what the benefit is, yet you still go back to the same patterns. So I, I don't know. Maybe you have some ideas. Maybe Caitlin has some ideas. But I feel like there's there's something that we're missing in our remedy uh, beyond just that awareness uh, that these things help out. Yeah, Van, you're right. And it made me sad in a moment when you said, you told me that story. I guess because there's a lot of reasons. I guess our audience, I, I feel close enough to just share where that came from. I got invited to a cousin of mine's birthday. I, I don't really like birthday parties or surprise parties or any of that shit. I'm not good with birthdays because I, I just like to do every day's a birthday for somebody 
let's just celebrate you in the moment that we're with each other. And that's just my take, kind of a different take on celebrations, parties of all kind. I look at everyday gratitude, every moment gratitude. I want to hear from you. I want to check in. I just want to say hi whenever I can. I'm, I'm very grateful uh, for the friends in my life. I feel fortunate. I feel lucky. I feel cared for. And so I don't have that kind of sense of a moment, a day that I'm going to acknowledge it. I want to acknowledge it every minute. In saying that, I was thinking about time. When I got word that it was uh, this cousin of mine's his daughter called, and I, I saw a strange number from his area. And I get on the phone, and his his daughter announces herself. And my heart dropped because I thought she was calling me to tell me he was dead. Right? Because I get those kind of calls, and you rarely hear from that relative. This is somebody you hear from every funeral or something, right? And I said, just tell me. Just tell me. And she said, well, I want to tell you everything's okay. Duck's fine. My cousin. He's my oldest cousin. And then, of course, my heart, beat, my heart starts beating again. My blood pressure goes from 240 back down to, you know, whatever, 110. And she said, well, we're planning a birthday party for him. It's his 70th birthday. I said, cool, I'll be there. Tell me where to be. And his birthday is the same day as my oldest son's birthday. So I, we always remember his birthday. So we're going to go. And then I started having flashes of life. I remember when I thought he was a giant. He was a, I thought he was a grown-up when I was a kid. And I have these memories of him. And I remember he got, my grandmother spanked him one time when I was really little. And he told me the reason he got the spanking is because they had just came out with televisions. And he was so into watching TV that he was supposed to babysit me. And I fell behind a piece of furniture. And when my grandmother came, she says, where's the baby? And he looked around, and I was stuck behind a piece of furniture. And he was, had his eyes on the TV, and she spanked him. That was the first and only time my grandmother ever spanked him. I had other memories of him tying me up to a metal pedal car and hooking it to a military truck and distracting the drivers of the truck so they would drive off, pulling me in a metal toy car down the road at a very high rate of speed, and I thought that was the funnest thing in the world. And we grew up, and we've been very close since. And it was all in a little snippet of time, 70 years. He's five years older than me. I always thought he was a giant until I got older. I realized we were about the same age. We've been good friends ever since. But that 70 years went by as fast as this weekend. So when I asked the question, what would you do for the people you love if you knew you could stretch out time? Would you put away your phone? Would you put away your phone to stretch out time? Would you hold their hand? Would you lock out the world? Would you lock the door and put a boundary between that and this world? You have just a little more time. Because time is a relative measure. 
It's what you did in that window of space, what your mass did in that space and distance. That's your time. So when you casually said, nah, people wouldn't do it, it made me sad. Yet you could be absolutely right. Doesn't mean that it ain't right. But I wish we could, I wish we could think about it. I wish we could check in more. Because that gives us a little more time. Time isn't real. My cousin Tariq and I, is 70 years that went by, I remember the days. I was sharing with him memories. And he shared his memory of those same memories. Gave more texture to it. And we're all going to be gone in 20, 30 years from now. And I've had all those years with him. I've had 65 years with him that seem like a few years. So yeah, I would, I, would, I would do different things if I could enjoy that time more. What if you could think about how quick those girls are going to grow up and leave home? The minute I think about it, it doesn't annoy me anymore. The kids stop being an annoyance to me. When I play with my little guys, Drona and Sasa, I noticed today that my little one got taller. He was bigger than the fan, huh, Caitlin? And he's a tough guy, like he struggles with his own little issues and he does it just like a trooper. And I was with Drona the other night and he had a cut knee and I was so mad at him because it got infected and he tore the scab off again. I say, damn it, man, let me dress this wound. And then I got so mad at him and then suddenly I started laughing my ass off because I was the same damn way. I was exactly like him and he's exactly like me. And it switched the situation from being distressed to you stress. I went from being very pissed off and fearful and angry that he would get skin-eating virus to just looking out, breathing in the eternity and, and telling my mom, sorry. Sorry, mom. <laughs> I get it. I get it. So I hope we can, Vin. I hope we can think about putting away the phone the research is there, the chemical research is there that we can be healthier, we can live longer if we are more loving and intimate. Again, the inner culture that starts with you, the intimate culture, then a step out from that, and then that that you share with, that keeps going bigger and bigger, right? And then the society is way outside of there. The society is, is friggin' Alpha Centauri. Society is the Milky Way. We're right here in our little, with our few little planets in our known universe. That's how we look at our intimate culture. Whatever you go, whatever's going on outside has no say in that. But what's going on inside is a determinant of your overall health imprint and footprint.
right? If you know that you could get well just by being around people that like you. You know, Kaylin was surrounded by support and love, not just words and uh, things like that, uh, platitudes and so forth. We're all willing to put it down on the line, and it's a beautiful thing. And when you're around people that you do that, taking risk uh, for you, supporting you, um, those are all ways that we increase the, the counter chemicals we need to offset the ravages of stress and to make us stronger and better people. So I hope then that what you said isn't necessarily the absolute truth. I hope that in the intimate culture of all of our lives, that those people who are in that place with us, who share that fortress of space, will see us come through the door and be willing to be loving, to caring. And whoever our friends are, we know they, they're with us. Just knowing people are with you. Right? There was a story about a man who was stranded at sea for 70 days. And he said that I just knew that they were waiting for me. I knew people were thinking about me. And I went, some days I would be without water for many days at a time. Or I'd be hungry for long periods of time. But I, I never gave up because I knew he was me. And in a more practical way, his body should have failed. His body should have failed. But it didn't because we have the ability to have these super endorphin responses that can elevate us. We simulate it with drugs all the time. People simulate the effects with crystal meth. It gives the people the superhuman rush. That's what oxytocin does to people when you're, you're working for someone you love, when you're fighting for their life, right? So I would say for those of us who are opting out, let us look at that intimate culture we create. And if it isn't all we want, let's at least put it out there, put that design and that blueprint with an understanding that you can live longer if you have an intimate culture that acknowledges the stresses of the outside world and creates a quiet place where you don't have to deal with that. You follow me, Vin? Yeah, what you're saying makes a lot of sense. And I don't think the situation is helpless. I think for a lot of people, you might not do anything, but for people who are looking to change or looking for solutions, you've mentioned a lot of good points. And I remember we had this podcast. I think we were talking about the internal environment or the environment versus the environment. And this ties into that really nicely, that society is going to do whatever it's going to do. But we have to create a set of conditions around us, within us and immediately around us, that are nurturing, that allow us to recharge. That's always how I think about coming home, Z. When I'm outside, it's almost like we're in this world of vampires where everyone we meet, it's an energy-draining situation. They just want to take our energy. They want to agitate us. They want to extract something from us. But I come home and it's a completely different environment. That's why I love being around my kids so much. Even if they're being selfish, it's a different kind of selfish. And maybe it's just because they're my kids and I look at them differently. But whatever it is they do, I'm always happy to see them. And it's like I'm plugging myself into the wall. And I'm getting that, that surge of electricity. And everything that's been depleted is recharged. So having that environment, I think, is very important. 
being able to identify people who are toxic, who are draining, just cutting them out is also important. And everything you mentioned about, about touch, about spending time together, about having a reason to be here. I mean, that story about the person who was at sea for 70 days, he had a reason to go on. He had a reason to continue, a reason to manage the external ravages of that situation. Uh, so we need to be loved. Uh, I think we need to have those relationships and feel that we're connected to others. We're giving something to others. We exist not in a vacuum, but as part of a larger system. And even if it's a small impact, uh, it's an important impact and that sustains us. So I would say that whether, again, whether society is going to change or not change, whether most people would adopt these suggestions or not, in a sense, is irrelevant. We're speaking to our audience, the audience of opt-outs who are looking for solutions. And what I'm getting out of this, Z, is one, just being aware, uh, just being aware that things are getting to very stressful conditions in the outside world. And we don't want to normalize it. We want to have an awareness of what's going on. Uh, we want to treat situations uh, going on the subway, walking around, being out in society with full awareness of what could happen. We don't just want to casually dismiss it and assume that everything's going to be fine. And then we need to cultivate that environment, uh, create the surroundings so that we can offset all of the external damage that's going on and really find a place uh, where we can retreat back into ourselves or our little unit and come out feeling peaceful, uh, come out feeling whole. Uh, you know, part of it is physical. There's a physical rest to it. There's a mental relaxation. There's that peace of mind that's uh, going to have effects beyond uh, just the immediate. So that's going to allow us to rest, to recharge. That goes back and impacts our physical health. Uh, this also has to do with our routines, uh, the types of things that we put into our body. Uh, we talked about this on one of the other podcasts as well. So, it, yeah, I think it's a nice way to summarize a lot of what we've been speaking of, that there's just a tremendous amount of stress. And if that accumulates over time, it leads to these traumatic responses. So let's start with that awareness of what's going on and then make sure that we've got the remedy. We've got the mechanisms to restore that equilibrium. You're so right, Vin. I, I'm really enjoying this. We've been away from each other uh, for a minute and we haven't been able to do our podcast. But I wanted to check in, too, with... Uh, uh, your project, your spoken word project, um, there is also research that shows that people that live their truth, pursue interests, things that they value and have interest in, also produce a lot of the um, anti-agents to cortisol. And so it's real important that you um, do the thing that you love, that all of us have those things that we love, which are often misunderstood too by those within our our, inter, our inner culture, our intimate culture, right? Is that you, you are very gifted as a spoken word artist. And for whatever reasons um, that are what they are, you, you didn't get into this until later on um, in, 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 in life. And you, you, were, you were not doing this thing. And I can see the positive effects it's had on you and the positive effects it's had on other people. And that's what they're talking about because we create communities of healthy people, communities of abundant people within our own universe. The sun and the moon, the earth, they all feed off one another. All the planets in our solar system interact with life on earth. And so by you being true to yourself, doing your spoken word, 
that's a good example. I have interest in, I, I really am interested in the human condition, and that's what animates me to do what I do. I also have other things that I do that I meditate, I, I build my, my cars, or I work on things. I tinker. In a way, I tinker with people. I tinker with science. And I, I really enjoy it. And um, the challenge is always weighing what you enjoy with what creates a sustainable income in this particular world that doesn't always value um, sincerity or skill or knowledge or intelligence, but it, it, it puts an overvaluation on uh, notoriety and infamy. And so we're working with that. And I, I want everybody really to keep up with Vin's growth uh, in the spoken word. Um, just a beautiful project. It's growing. Everybody that hears it or come next to it seems to thrive from it. And that's an example that all of you have now become part of that particular universe that you can say, hey, that's my guy. That's, that's my friend. He's, one, he's, he's part of my tribe. And he's sharing these things. And, and it, 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 it gives us more. It gives us all a little more life. So I appreciate you for that, Vin, that, that you've been on this path and, and really humping to be true to yourself. And I hope that the, the closer that people are to you, they can really value what you do. That it's not just some frivolous hobby, right? Hobbies are good. That's where innovation comes from. Doing nothing it gives birth to everything. When I say doing nothing, being you requires no effort. Not being you requires more effort. So when the Taoists say do nothing, like the, let the tree do nothing but be a tree, and it will put forth fruit. Don't stifle who we are. Let's nurture it. And I hope that all of us who have are working on having a healthier, a more abundant, uh, more positive inner, in, in, inner environment, intimate environment, can think about those things first with yourself. You don't have to go and run up to your family members and say, hey, listen to the podcast. You guys are hateful. And no, don't do that. Just observe. First step is just observe. Right, Vin? Yeah, yeah, it's a beautiful point. It's actually interesting because the journey that I've been on, it's a perfect example of what we've been talking about. And I didn't, I didn't even think about it until you mentioned it. But I'll just share something that hit me maybe six months ago. I was walking with a friend of mine and talking about some of the frustrations I feel and pressure from not being myself, which I felt all my life. That, And that's where a lot of the stress comes from. It's like I'm holding something back. I'm holding ideas back. I'm holding a, I'm holding back creative expression. And the pressure of that eats at me and it makes me upset and it leads to, to a bunch of issues that I began to understand later in life. And you helped me. You shined a lot of light on that. Uh, but as I started to create the spoken word project, it hit me that I don't need to blow up the old life. I mean, for a long time, I felt, what the hell am I doing? I'm living a life that's not me, and I just need to break free. I need to break out of this cage, go and do something else. And over time, I've realized it's not either or. It's more that I can create something else that complements what I already have. So the life I have, there's nothing wrong with it. I'm very lucky uh, for what I have, very grateful for my circumstances. I have certain obligations that I have to fulfill. I need to make money to do that. 
And I wouldn't want to trade that. I mean, I wouldn't want to give up my, my family so that I could have more freedom to do whatever I want. But what I do need is something that complements that part of my life and that creates the space where I can be more free and I can express myself and I can maybe overcome some of the trauma. I mean, I don't even know if I would call it trauma, but whatever the effect is of living one way, I've got another space where I can be something else. And when you put the two together... It's nice. It starts to balance out. And a lot of the the stagnation, the frustration that I've been holding on to, I've got a way to channel it productively. Yeah, and that's, that's such a good example. I mean, I've been watching you grow and very impressive. Um, we talked to our friend in Indonesia the other day who's been uh, kind of uh, out, out overwhelmed with things and just re- reconnected with us, been keeping up with your growth. Very, very, very impressed. Within a short time, the growth of that seed that you planted, and um, let us all let it be an example for all of us. So all of us opt out people. Do what you love. Let's go inward and work on that that intimate environment, so that we will have the ability to protect ourselves from the ravages of this madness going on out here. Keep safe. Keep healthy. Put love first. All right. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a review on Podbean, iTunes, or your favorite podcasting app. Each five-star review helps us bring you more unique and insightful content. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. Peace.